Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we are going back to our 10-question series, but we now have a look at the draft, everybody. You know, I've been a proponent for years that we over overvalue rookies in fantasy football because we start looking at the damn guys. You know, in January 1st, we spent four months on these uh, players that oftentimes they can have their entire, you know, just outlook projection change by where they go in the draft and who they are drafted on. So it's important to know who these players are before they get picked. Absolutely. I'm not debating that now, whether we should be spending the entirety of the four months of the pre-draft process on them. I think there's some other cool stuff for agency. Obviously we've covered that, but now it's time whether or not you agree with me, it is time. Now we got a month before the big dance. And because of that, I'm going to be bringing on some of the sharpest minds in the industry to help us get caught up on these rookies. So without further ado, our first guest is the associate director of content at PFF host of two for one drafts a personal friend of mine austin gale who you can find on twitter at pff underscore austin gale austin man happy uh draft season i guess you've kind of been in this uh, position for a while now but at least for us fancy folks out here happy draft season thanks man it's been it's been an interesting one it's cool to see that a lot of the community a lot of the football twitter community is getting in on this class as pro day numbers are flying around <laughs> and stuff like that because i've been you know mike and i on the podcast have been looking at these guys since december maybe november you know looking at this draft class so now seeing other people get involved and throwing some opinions around it should be it should be a fun draft season specifically for the skill positions it's a crazy wide receiver group the running back class is interesting i'm really excited 100%. We are going to be focusing on skill position players today. I understand more positions matter in real life, absolutely real life, but in fantasy <laughs> land, we're just going to try to catch up on some of the bigger skill position names in this podcast. So without further ado, let's get started. So everything starts at the top with Trevor Lawrence at number one. It's pretty much the one certainty we've held throughout. I know there's been a few people who we won't name who have gotten, uh, you know, sh- uh, swifty with it and tried to put someone else's number one QB, but I think we can all agree Odds on heavy favorite to be a Jaguars week one starting quarterback is Trevor Lawrence. Austin, what sort of expectations do you have for Lawrence in year one from a just pure production standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I really do think Trevor Lawrence is kind of come in to the Jacksonville Jaguars as the obvious week one starter and already be set up in a somewhat good position to have success. They made an effort to obviously keep Cam Robinson on the tag. Even if you debate whether or not he's a top 16, top 20 tackle, he's still there. He's still a veteran at the position that you're going to need along the offensive line. They decided not to cut ties with former Carolina Panthers and now Jacksonville Jaguars offensive lineman Andrew Norwell, who obviously they signed to a big monster contract they threw free agencies ago. They're trying to keep that offensive line intact. Jawan Taylor, the former Florida offensive tackle there at right tackle, they're developing there. Can they get better? Absolutely. I think they'll look at day two and day three to get better along the offensive line, but at least they have some veteran pieces for when Trevor Lawrence gets there. You're getting DJ Chark back from injury, obviously getting um, LaVisca Chennault in year two. I think it's going to be a nice development. I still think there's this need for a tight end, but you know, some people have this cliche that a rookie quarterback's best friend is a tight end. No, Trevor Lawrence's best friend is actually a receiver open 30, 40 yards down the football (laughs) field. And I think that's where the Jacksonville Jaguars should look. I also think, you know, they need help in the secondary in terms of keeping positive game scripts, being in the lead and trying to throw, trying to throw the football. But for Jacksonville, you know, if you're looking from a fantasy perspective, you, you'd like them trailing a lot if you have Trevor Lawrence on your football team. I do think he'll hit the ground running. I think it's going to be very similar to what we saw from Andrew Luck out of the gate. I think it's going to be very similar from a production standpoint to what we saw from Justin Herbert out of the gate. Imagine Justin Herbert across a full 16-game season. And I think Trevor Lawrence is a better prospect than Justin Herbert, but they're similar from a tools perspective. Two really good athletes, big arms. And he's, yeah. enter- he's entering an offense where there are some weapons there. I still think Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, uh, you know, Austin Eckler, a better weaponry in Los Angeles for Justin Herbert, but Jacksonville still has enough pieces. And I still think 
this year's draft, I think they're going to be able to add some pieces as well. So I like what the Jacksonville Jaguars have done. Trevor Lawrence is going to be in a position to succeed. He's healthy for 16 games. I think we're looking at Herbo numbers. Ooh, I like it, man. Yeah, so far, since 2010, we've had Justin Herbert, Andrew Luck, who you've mentioned. Only other rookie QBs to finish as a top 12 fantasy producer, Cam Newton, RG3, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, and Kyle Murray. So the big two similarities out of that group were these were guys that pretty much were starting in week one. Herbert's case, you know, it was week two after Tyrod got his lung stabbed by a team doctor. Uh, and also, they had at least something resembling a rushing floor. Specifically, all these guys before Herbert were averaging about 25 rushing yards per game in college. Now, Herbert was the exception, but as we saw with the Chargers, had far more athletic ability than he really put on display during his time at Oregon. Kind of surprised us there. So, you know, Lawrence, he checks those two boxes, man. 12 games with at least 40 rushing yards at Clemson, 23.4 yards per game as a whole. And obviously, again, we're fully expecting him to be out there in week one. So, hey, man, the defense is going to be awful. Like you said, I don't think we're sitting here expecting the Jaguars to be a contender. But if we're just looking at offenses that could, you know, go from just, you know, total ranks. I'm not sure what the Jaguars finished scoring last year i want to say 28th but they could easily improve that spot 10 12 ranks and guys like lawrence like dj shark like a viscous chenault even if the team isn't great at first this offense could be productive in a hurry no 100 man I'm, I'm buying into the jacksonville jaguars and we didn't even factor in if we want to talk even beyond fantasy land here the jacksonville jaguars are in a very bad afc south indianapolis colts are starting carson wentz and didn't get that much better <laughs> offensively you look at the houston texans disaster with deshaun watson and those allegations we don't know who's going to be starting at quarterback and jack easterby and nick casario have signed over 32 players this offseason it's going to be a completely different team there in houston and obviously um you have the tennessee titans there that are bound for some regression you know i know they added on the defensive side of the ball bud dupree Danico autry but releasing malcolm butler releasing odori jackson letting john smith walk Corey davis walk and I, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm a little nervous for the Tennessee Titans. I think they're right now the favorite to win the AFC South. But this is a Jacksonville Jaguars team that's going to be one of the most improved teams in the NFL. Up there with the Jets, up there with the Patriots, up there with the football team. Guys that I think this team, if it can stay healthy, obviously, with Urban Meyer, with Trevor Lawrence, I think they're going to be taking a heavy step forward. So much that Tennessee, they should be a little bit rocky there. Texans, Titans, and Jaguars. I mean, those are three of probably the bottom five defenses in the entire NFL. I'm here for it. Give me all the shootouts. AFC and NFC South. Give me all the shootouts in 2021. I love it. All right. So we talked about with rookie QBs. Again, we usually in the past to get year one fantasy success, we've had to see some semblance of a rushing floor and a week one starter. Now there are more quarterbacks than just Lawrence out there. We got Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, uh, you know, some other guys that maybe can enlighten us with. Which other QB would you feel best about putting up numbers early and I know we don't know and the landing spot's going to be huge with this but just based on what they bring to the table in terms of having that dual threat ability and having that rocket arm like I guess if you could give every other quarterback 16 games in a neutral situation who would you expect to be the most productive I love that question I think that's a fantastic one in a neutral situation all 16 you know get healthy for all 16 games I'm leaning Zach Wilson just because okay. I view him as the second best quarterback in this class I love what he can do with his arm I think Justin Fields is close though I think Justin Fields and Zach Wilson are splitting hairs in terms of quarterback two and quarterback two a you know I think both those guys are really talented players and I think if I had to ask the question maybe or answer the question a little bit more realistically I'd say 
whichever quarterback goes to the Panthers, because I do think the Panthers are going to trade up. We've heard rumors all offseason long that they've been trying to get aggressive at upgrading over Teddy Bridgewater. They've tried to make moves on Deshaun Watson. They're leaving phone calls, I'm sure, for um, you know other quarterbacks as well. They're trying to get an upgrade. They want to get better than Teddy B. And I think if they trade up to, say, three with the Miami Dolphins, four with the Falcons, five with the Bengals, and land either a Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, I'm taking that guy, because I do think that Carolina Panthers offense with Joe Brady, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, CMC coming back. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, you know more than me, was a pretty viable fantasy option when healthy. Like, you throw in an actually good, above-expectation quarterback here, like a legit athlete with an arm, like a Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. I like this guy a lot. I think the Carolina quarterback, if it's one of these rookies, I think that's the guy I'm sticking with. Yeah, Teddy ended up rushing for five touchdowns, which, you know, made the 15 passing scores look a little bit better. Kind of same thing. Uh, Cam Newton was going through there a little bit. But you said it, man. In my mind, the Panthers and the Broncos have been these two teams where if you could just select a quarterback and drop them in that offense, you could see some serious numbers because there's just skill position, talent everywhere. I guess my question with these guys, I mean, I've heard the comps. You know, I heard Chris Sims talking about how Zach Wilson, he has him ranked that high because he's kind of got that Mahomes, Rodgers, X factor in him. I guess where do you draw the line with someone – making these insane throws and, you know, where Mahomes was able to do it because when Mahomes came out, he was doing these things and our attitude was, okay, who the hell is he playing? He didn't do this against really anybody. Why can we believe he can put it on the next level? Obviously he did, but I'm just wondering if maybe we're seeing Zach Wilson who, yeah, he made a ton of great throws, didn't really do it against anyone impressive. And are we, you know, I guess victims of the moment here and assuming that someone can kind of replicate this absolutely wild, fun to watch style play that we're now starting to see grace the quarterback position, or maybe that's just the future. So I, I do think it is the future. I don't think it is the moment. And I think it really reset with the 2018 quarterback class with Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, um, Josh, Allen, you know, those guys that came out in that class. I do think it reset there because that's the first season where we really saw teams willing to make an offense that fits the strengths of their quarterback. You know, I think you saw Patrick Mahomes obviously drafted in the year prior, but you have this 2018 class where Baker Mayfield, had the most success when Kevin Stefanski put an offense that's play action heavy around him with Austin Hooper, Jarvis Landry, OBJ didn't pan out there, but whatever, a good offensive line. So you didn't see the scary pocket presence stuff with Baker Mayfield. He had success there. You saw Brian Dable, Josh Allen put together a very good offense this past year. He improved from an accuracy perspective, but more should be said about how they built an offense that fit his strengths. And then the most obvious answer, Lamar Jackson. They draft Lamar Jackson and completely change their offense. Greg Roman comes in. They invest in big dudes along the deep offensive line in the secondary to try to limit the pass because they're going to be trying to keep people down and stay leads. Like they did everything to build around his strengths. I was talking to Bucky Brooks of NFL media and he, he dropped a term that or a phrase that I feel like sticks with me. It's when you're scouting players, it's your job to tell me what he can do, not what he can't do. Yeah. And what he can do and what he can do is what I'm going to get out of him. What he can't do, I'm going to try and throw away. He said also that when you're scouting players, you grade the flashes. And it's my job as a coaching staff to make, get rid of the non-flashes. You know, when you grade the flashes, Lamar Jackson's flashes, rushing ability, obviously a crazy athlete, can get things, you know, can move the football on the short and intermediate route tree. But the, the low end in Lamar Jackson game is throwing outside the numbers, pushing the ball downfield, a little inaccurate there. But they don't do that in that offense. They try and get rid of that in that offense. So I do think for this quarterback class, you're seeing the NFL change in that I want Zach Wilson because he, he can do this, this, and this. And I'm going to make sure the stuff that he doesn't do well or what he can't do is eliminated from our offense. And the same can be said about Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. I mean, Trey Lance is going to go to an offense that is going to completely change what they do. Like, because Trey Lance, again, is so much different than what Trevor Lawrence brings to the table or even what Zach Wilson brings to the table. He's a runner. I mean, he's built – I tweeted this out, but it's not that big of a joke. He's built like Latavius Murray. Like, he's like <laughs> six foot – he's like six foot three, six foot four, and 225. And, like – athletic I, I do think that 
the Trey Lance conversation is going to be interesting, but I think in an era where situation matters so much more at the quarterback position and finally offensive coordinators and teams are willing to adapt their offenses to fit their quarterback strengths, you're seeing teams chase these athletes, chase these big arm quarterbacks, no longer the Mac Jones of the world, because like the Mac Jones of the world will fit in any system. You know, you're like, hey, I can bring Mac Jones in. He can work my system. I love it. It's like, no, I want a guy that will change my system. I want a guy that will change the game for me. And that's how you see these guys going a little bit higher. And you said, man, finally, finally they're doing this because you would hope yes. that coaches could, you know, take their best resources, use them in the best ways possible. Like it makes sense. But if anyone's played sports at any level, basketball, you know, in fifth grade or whatever, like, you know, you get coaches that just have their system. They've had success with it. They don't want to change it. So you get these new players, new kids that they don't know, and they're not going to change their system because they've had success with it. You would hope that, you know, at the highest level of the game, when literally wins and losses are deciding your job, that teams could go try to get the best out of their players, hasn't always happen but hopefully austin hopefully we're in a new era of that uh quick quick uh, stop here to pay some bills real quick the tournament is in full swing the action has not disappointed look people my buckeyes lost but i understand it's still been a very exciting march madness season especially over at DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app is putting new customers in the center of action bet one dollar on any tournament game if your team wins and you win 100 it's that simple don't worry if college basketball isn't for you DraftKings sportsbook has 100 to 1 odds on select fighters for this weekend's ufc 260 do not bet against my guy steepy i know nagano looks scary but it's that immigrant mentality we got here in the lovely land of Ohio that usually is out there working for us. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and you sign up to turn $1 into $100 the college basketball team of your choosing. Pulls off the win. That's code PFF. Turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. As always, 21 or, 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Awesome. We talked about some quarterbacks i want to switch over to the running back position we know we work for pff we have to say they don't matter but we rank them anyway and with that we have travis Etienne. he's been the number one guy you know just pretty much consensusly in this class but just looking at his overall grades 2018 pff's eighth highest back 2019 he was number five down to number 34 in 2020 i will say as someone that you know i feel like i'm, I'm more of the, the casual college football fan but you know casual football fans we see a ton of clemson games he didn't look like the same explosive player in 2020 how concerned are you with him coming off his quote-unquote worst college season now into the nfl being heralded as you know a game-changing running back i'm not super concerned because i think when you are looking at the running back position the big reason why it's you know more replaceable and why they don't matter is that you're you're really just looking for athletes at the position and getting them the football obviously there's things like vision that matter there's things like you know working from behind the line of scrimmage pass protection those things but getting legit you know, elite tier athletes at the position is what matters most in terms of getting a game, a game changer at the position. I think Travis Etienne is one of the better athletes in this class. I think if not the best athlete in this class at the running back position, I also think he's improved dramatically as a pass catcher. He runs some of the best routes in this class. I think you could argue that Najee Harris has better hands and better contested catchability and maybe a better catch radius, but Travis Etienne can actually run a route tree. Kylan Hill can too of Mississippi State, but he's a little bit of a smaller back and not the same level athlete as Travis Etienne. I'm not worried about it unless you draft him in the first. Like, I'm not taking <laughs> Travis Etienne in the first. You, you take, again, it comes back, and I have this take on the podcast all the time, players do not bust. Teams bust. Taking Travis Etienne in the first and him not living up to those expectations is on you. Travis Etienne is this player, and if you take him in the first round and expect him to be 
two standard deviations above a running back you can get in the second or third, you're going to be wrong. Like, that's just wrong. Like, Mike Davis is getting signed off the street and probably going to have as much production as Travis Etienne this year. Like, that's how, that's how the running back position is. Again, you take him in the second or the third round, that's where he starts to have value. That's where he starts to have value above expectation. Similar to all the running backs that I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, talk about Javante Williams of UNC, and then obviously Najee Harris of Alabama. Yeah, and we have a you know similar phrase we use in the fantasy land, which is we don't hate players, we hate ADPs. Just because that guy busted, you know, okay, we shouldn't have had him in the third round, not really on that player. So I'm happy you share a similar sentiment with that. But yeah, man, ETN caught 54 passes, 2017 and 2019, 48 passes alone in 2020. I know we don't necessarily concern ourselves with pass protection as much as we should, you know, in fantasy land and all that. But obviously it's something that matters to try and keep these guys on the field. Do you feel confident that each of ETN Harris and Williams, those big three running backs. Can these guys do enough as pass protectors and as receivers to theoretically beat three down backs if their coaches ask them to do so? 100%. I think all three of those guys bring that three tool skill set. Though I do know that, you know, a lot of NFL teams are steering away from having this guy that you give 300 carries. So even Josh Jacobs, who's probably the best like three tool back in the NFL right now, they signed Kenyon Drake to top 15 running back money. Like there are teams that still aren't buying into the fact that you can have a running back be this 300 carry type of guy or 400 touch type of guy like Saquon Barkley could be when he's healthy back in New York. I think Travis Etienne can be that. I think Javante Williams can be that. And I think Najee Harris can be that. The problem is I just don't know if teams want to do that anymore. Like why there are a lot of teams that will have special running backs, but still spell them with other backs and remove some of those touches. So I don't think it's in NFL philosophy, despite the skill sets of those guys, to give them that many carries or make them those three down back because they want to keep fresh in those things. Yeah, you just spelled out my concerns with Jonathan Taylor in 2021. I know he can be fantastic, everybody. The problem is Frank Reich is the one making the decisions. We know he loves Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines. It's going to be more crowded than any of us would want. Fantastic move in real life. Don't kill your running backs by week eight. I get it. In fantasy football, we want touches. Unfortunately, committee backfields aren't great for that. Okay, so Williams, Harris, ETN. Again, consensus big three guys. That's great. They can do it all. Is there another back, though, that you think is maybe going a little bit under the radar and could actually thrive if they're giving, you know, a James Robinson-esque starting job out of thin air? Interesting. Let me think about that question because I do think there are some backs that I like that don't have that three down skill set. When I'm looking at a running back, say on, you know, the through rounds four through seven, I'm looking to bring in a guy that has a specific, you know, power move, a specific like skill set. Like Javian Hawkins, the Louisville running back, has a lot of speed, a lot of pass catching ability, but isn't going to be this three down back. If I'm looking at a running back to come in and maybe be that three down player, Chuba Hubbard, Oklahoma State. He's a guy that can do it all. I think Trey Sermon of Ohio State is another running back that can do it all. Ramondre Stevenson, who I think we saw Kevin Cole of PFF comp to Arian Foster. He's a power back, but I think he's another one of those guys that just because he is a power back doesn't mean he can't do some other things. Khalil Herbert, Virginia Tech. I'm talking to him, I think, later this week on the podcast. Those are another guy. And I'll give you a name. How about I give you a name here? C.J. Verdell. If you haven't heard of C.J. Verdell, Oregon running back, Guy, let me. His high school stats are absolutely bonkers, dude. This guy had some of the most successful high school we've ever seen. Going back to his time at Modern Day Catholic there in San Diego as a junior, 169 carries for 2,135 yards and 28 touchdowns, over 12.4 yards per carry at Modern Day. Which again, California, that's a good high school. That's a really good high school there in South, My South California. And if you turn on the highlight tape with CJ Verdell, you won't find a running back that runs harder. Than CJ Verdell. He might not be the biggest back, you know, five foot nine, one ninety-five, somewhere in that range, five ten maybe, but he runs hard, man. I think CJ Verdell is gonna be one of those backs that maybe doesn't get drafted till five, six, seven round or even undrafted, but he'll come in. If you give him a James Robinson role, I think we'll have success. 
I love that call. I quickly pulled up his profile, which you guys can see in the PFF 2021 draft guide. Fantastic piece of work with uh, plenty of contributions from Austin and Mike and others. And he looks like one of these guys potentially where he didn't catch many passes, only had seven catches in 2020, 14 and 2019. But maybe that's not a liability. Maybe that's just something that wasn't exactly tapped into in college. And if there is a team willing to give him this role, he could actually make the most out of it. I mean, if Justin Herbert's any indication, I don't know how well Oregon's using their players. So <laughs> I did think that uh, C.J. Burdell, man, I'm not going to count him out until I see it. And that's another thing, too, that Mike and I talk about is that something we learned a lot over the past two, two years that Mike and I have really been paying close attention to the draft is just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean he can't do it. You know, yeah. Justin Jefferson worked largely from the slot at LSU. You didn't see a lot of outside receiver wins. But, man, could he do it, breaking the Randy Moss rookie receiving yards record. I think Justin Herbert's another example. Justin Herbert, you didn't see it on his tape. You didn't see this game-changing fourth-quarter type-like ability from Justin Herbert that you saw. But doesn't mean he can't do it. He still had the arm talent, still had the athleticism. And I think it goes to show, you know, what the Chargers did with Justin Herbert and the mismanagement of time and all these things with Anthony Lynn, still to have the success he had. Man, I'm really looking forward to Justin Herbert year two because I think that was just an absolutely stellar rookie campaign. Will he regress in some areas? Sure. I think some of the the data tells us Herbert won't be the guy under pressure like he was last year or the guy on third downs. But if he gets even – 25, 30% better from a clean pocket. We're talking about a really, really nice second year for Justin Herbert. Yeah, and God forbid we actually get a season. I'm knocking on wood, full season out of Derwin James, and all of a sudden this Chargers team that looks so loaded year after year on paper might actually be able to put it together. You mentioned Justin Jefferson. You know, I I wrote an article like kind of halfway through the season just to bring up the point that Jefferson wasn't just having one of the best rookie seasons we've seen. He was a legit top 10 wide receiver in the NFL last year. Pick a stat, any stat. Playing with Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, those things help. But truly, Jefferson was a legit, even if you want to say top 10 was too high, top 20. He was one of the NFL's best wide receiver, regardless of experience. With that said, Jamar Chase was LSU's most productive receiver on the same team as Justin Jefferson. Austin, is it as simple as saying that Chase and Jefferson were both so freaking good that we can expect Chase, wherever he lands pretty much, to come in and have a similar impact as Jefferson? Or is something about them did that cause Jefferson to be better as a pro than Chase might be? So I do think that Chase is a better prospect. And I know that might be a hot take after seeing what Justin Jefferson did. I still think what Jamar Chase did at 19 years old against SEC cornerbacks, first-round cornerbacks, C.J. Henderson, Trayvon Diggs, A.J. Terrell, what he did at 19 years old is absolutely absurd, so much that I do think he is the better prospect. However, as we've seen, situation matters, man. It's situation matters. If he goes to a situation where the quarterback play isn't, elite, you know, maybe a Tua Tungabailoa situation, we probably don't see the same success, you know, that we do um, with Justin Jefferson last year. Because Kirk Cousins, while he gets a lot of hate, he's top three in accuracy percentage every single year, according to PFF. This guy's he, he very does a pretty ball. Football. Yeah. Exactly. And I think you pair Jamar Chase with a Kirk Cousins-like season that we saw in 2020, you're going to see similar success. Because I think something that's underrated with Chase's game is his yak ability. Because he was featured on the outside in 2019 and his average depth of target was a little bit deeper than Justin Jefferson – you really saw those opportunities for him to break things open after the catch. So I think, you know, you go back to what CeeDee Lamb did at Oklahoma. I think Jamar Chase is, is capable of similar yak ability as CeeDee Lamb. So you put him in a situation where the quarterback is on par, if not better than Kirk Cousins. In year one, you're going to see Justin Jefferson-like numbers, which is crazy to say because obviously, um, you know, Randy Moss's record was broken by Justin Jefferson. But we'll see. As much as teams pass these days, Jamar Chase could light it on fire again too. So Bengals, Chase, reunion. All the sense in the world. 
Let's do it, man. I'm excited about that. That sounds awesome. Let's freaking do it. And if you believe in Jamar Chase, and if you like fantasy football, and if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to draft Jamar Chase over at Underdog Fantasy. What a freaking, you know, good job by me getting us in that ad smoothly. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge Annual description that's promo code PFF draft now underdog fantasy. If you're listening to this on a Friday, go over to PFF.com. Check out my article about the best guys to draft in the last round of your underdog drafts. Truly some huge edges. And I'm telling you right now, guys, Scotty Miller, don't sleep on uh, what he could do if AB leaves. And if he doesn't leave, guess what? We still got a boomer bust guy catching deep balls from Tom Brady. So code PFF over there, underdog. Austin, a few more questions for you. I want to get your thoughts with, first of all, Jalen Waddle versus Devontae Smith. Who do you have in one? I like Jalen Waddle ahead of Devontae Smith. And I know that's a little bit crazy. I know that's wild. He won the Heisman, all these things. But I do think that Jalen Waddle is the better prospect, offers a more rare skill set than Devontae Smith. Full stop. That's what he does. However, how are you going to utilize him in your offense? Jalen Waddle is going to be used differently than Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith is going to be used differently than Jamar Chase. It comes back to that flavor of ice cream that you want. I, I rank these receivers as 1A, 1B, and 1C. That's how good the quote-unquote big three is in this class. If you're going to bring in Jalen Waddle and run him to a similar role as Tyreek Hill, where he's playing maybe 50% of his snaps in the slot, 50% outside, and you're funneling him targets down the football field, winning those valuable routes down the football field, Waddle's going to be your guy. However, if you want that true, versatile pass catcher, like Devontae Smith can be like, I know a lot of comparisons for Devontae Smith have been Marvin Harrison, Isaac Bruce, some older guys that were a little bit thinner. If you want that type of uh, uh, wide receiver, we're going to funnel him 120 targets, but he's going to run intermediate, short, and deep routes. That's the guy you're going to go with. Again, situation matters a ton. I like Waddle as the better prospect. Could one be more productive out of the gate? We'll have to see where he lands. Landing spot is always important. But yeah, I mean, I saw a video today of Waddle just going neck to neck with Henry Ruggs. I think it was like a 60-yard dash. Couldn't, couldn't tell who won. He is that fast. Obviously, we all saw what Devontae did throughout the entire season. Excited to watch both those guys go. And I'm happy he said it, man. It's like 1A, 1B, 1C. You rank these guys and you put it, you know, PFF tweets out, you know, usually a lovely graphic. We, we appreciate it, social guys. But then everyone's like, oh, my God, like Waddle number three, I'm going to freaking kill you and your entire family over this. Come on. Usually not that far apart, everybody. But awesome. Big guy that was in the move. Uh, big guy, you know, a little, little play on words there. I was in the news this week. Rondale Moore, who came in quite a bit shorter than people were maybe hoping for. Even got some uh, hysterically speculating a position change to RB could be in order. I thought you have one of the best tweets on the matter. You said that your new comp for Rondale Moore is Julio Jones trapped in Cole Beasley's body. <laughs> Great call. What do you feel is Moore's best case role at the NFL level? And like, basically, are you concerned enough with this height that you think that he could have problems, you know, actually being a full-time receiver in the NFL? I'm not, I'm not concerned at all. I mean, I also tweeted out something recently about how you compare Elijah Moore of oldness to Rondell Moore of Purdue. And the biggest difference is that one is two inches shorter. You know, you look at Elijah Moore, five foot nine, 178. Rondell Moore of Purdue, five foot seven, 180. Rondell Moore is faster at a four, two, nine, and a six, six, eight, three cone, both of those above 90th percentile. And then you saw Elijah Moore, four flat, short shuttle, six, 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 three cone, the devil's three cone, and a four, three, five, 40 yard dash. Like they're similar players, very similar players athletically. One's just two inches taller. Am I going to value Elijah Moore's two inches more, so much more that I'm going to push Rondell Moore to the second or third round, move him to running back? Absolutely not. Here's the role you play him in. The same role as Cole Beasley. He can do a lot of the same things that Cole Beasley does for the Buffalo Bills, but just faster and more dynamic and better after the catch. I think that's the role Rondell Moore plays. If you wanted him to come in and be Steve Smith Sr., I'll tell you guys right now, 
There's only one Steve Smith yeah. senior. There's going to, that's a dog, my friend. That's a guy that <laughs> I, I've, uh, I mean, another receiver that comes to mind too, who's around that five foot seven range, but not nearly as dynamic, but still had a successful career in the NFL. Andrew Hawkins, Andrew Hawkins yeah. weighed in at five foot seven and had a very successful career in the NFL. I think after going undrafted, like Rondell Moore is a legitimate athlete. Don't let the five foot seven keep you from bringing him into your offense. Do you have to plan a role for him? Yes. Can you just run him at X or Z all game long and expect him to win at the rate of a Julio Jones or a Michael Thomas? No, but bring him into your offense, run him from the slot, work him outside at sometimes and, and really carve out a role for him. Cause you go back to, you don't, I don't have to tell you Ohio state fan that 2018 <laughs> season for Rondell Moore, man, he put on a show. I do think that he probably slips to the second round. Two grade one hamstring injuries over the past two seasons and the height concerns are going to push him to probably day two. But you let this guy fall to the third, you are going to regret it. He's also been one of my favorite interviews I've talked to so far this offseason. Absolute dog, man. I try and here's a funny story. I try and like before I record these interviews, I try and break them down a little bit, you know, like talk about food or the weather or where <laughs> they're from. And he was not having it, man. He wouldn't crack a smile. And then I eventually say, cause he's a Kentucky guy. He went to a, a high school in Kentucky, but I think he's originally from Indiana and he was the Kentucky Gatorade player of the year. And I was like, so you're a big Kentucky guy. And he's like, dude, I went to Purdue. And I was like, no, I meant, ah, it was bad. Dude. It was so bad. But, oh man. He is a uh, straight face all business and he hates that people are sleeping on him right now. I would not be the one to bet against Rondell Moore. Yeah, people, Hunter Renfro has a job as an NFL slot receiver. Rondale Moore is going to be absolutely fine. Let's quit being so concerned about uh, what the guy's uh, body looks like. So, all right, quick thoughts on KJ Stefferson, who our guy, Mike Renner, I thought put a really cool uh, tweet list out. For those that don't know, basically, he started his career at Notre Dame. Now, had some troubles with the law. He got arrested for driving without a license. They found some marijuana in the car. The next, the very next day, he gets arrested for shoplifting on Macy's. Not smart, KJ. Not smart. And then later gets arrested for drug possession. But it does, you know, it doesn't seem like he's potentially, you know, the biggest, you know, sort of criminal that might have trouble getting drafted at all, finished his career at Jacksonville State. Do you think Stefferson is good enough to be, you know, one of these round four, round five guys who, you know, we overlooked because they got drafted late? But if you just look at talent alone, this guy could be competing for snaps early. Absolutely. I think he's just the biggest wild card. You know, I don't know when I draft him. I'd have to talk to him, his parents, his friends before I really even consider pulling him off the board, you know, because you just don't know. Like his, his background is interesting. I wrote it up for the draft guide today. I mean, he has those multiple arrests, dismissed from the football team, transfers from Jacksonville. So he goes to Jacksonville State and just still doesn't have that same level of success that you expected him to. I, I, I do think that, and obviously they didn't have a season in 2020, but I do think that KJ Stefferson, the biggest stat to know, is he started over Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin as a true freshman. Like, this guy was legit. And Notre Dame doesn't screw around. If you were getting in trouble with the law, nine times out of ten, you're gone. But after that first arrest, he was only suspended four games in 2017 and still played for that football team. They wanted him. They wanted – I'm telling you, you talk to Notre Dame coaches about KJ Stefferson. I haven't, but I'm sure if you did, they'd speak really highly of what this guy can do on the football field. The problems have always been – off the football field. So taking, you know, is he going to get drafted? Hard to say. That's all going to be really dependent on where he's at mentally, how he's preparing for the draft, all those different things. If we get preseason DFS this year, people, KJ Stefferson is going to yes. be the guy <laughs> in that photo. Mark my words. Okay, Austin, Kyle Pitts, he's been stealing a lot of news, you know, just for being a complete baller. Is he a tight end? Is he a wide receiver? Who cares? Line him up, throw him the ball. Good things should happen. With that said, in fantasy land, we've had Gronk and Evan Ingram have been top 12 producers as tight ends as a rookie since 2010. That's it. Is Pitts enough of an exception that he can go to a team and immediately demand a bunch of targets? Or could we face problems with a guy coming out of college that has has to learn how to block at an NFL level and receive. And we just haven't seen it done that well in recent history. 
you know, Mike recently told me that Kyle Pitts could come in the NFL and be as good. No, just kidding. Better than Darren Waller. And I kind of paused. I paused on the podcast. I was like, wait a second, dude. You're going to tell me Kyle Pitts as a rookie is going to be better than a top three tight end in the NFL. And he said, yeah, that's how good he is. He's a better, he's Darren Waller is his confident draft guy, but Mike is convinced he's better, significantly better than Darren Waller. And again, I think it's going to come down to situation. You know, what Mike said, you know, I asked him an interesting question on the podcast and I said, what goes wrong? How does it go wrong with Kyle Pitts? Because right now, when he's getting hyped up, this is one of the best tight end prospects we've seen in the past 10, 15 years. And if he doesn't pan out, he's going to be one of the biggest busts over the past 10, 15 years. So I wanted to ask him how it goes wrong. And he really said usage. Like if you use him purely as an inline tight end, you're not going to get the benefits that you get from a Waller, Kittle, or Kelsey. Like Waller, Waller runs on the outside over 100, reps, 100 snaps a year. Kelsey does the same from the slot and on the outside. Like you need to use him like that. If you don't bring him in, the creative offensive coordinator and you exclusively use him in different in in the inline tight end position you're not going to get the best out of Kyle Pitts but I do think I've had this take a couple times if there was a conversation you know Bengals are on the board at five and it's Panay Sewell or Kyle Pitts it's not it's not as easy as I thought it was you know it's not <laughs> as easy as like Panay Sewell obviously their offensive line is bad Kyle Pitts man with Joe Burrow with Tyler Boyd I, I start to get really interested T Higgins in year two but it's going to be interesting. I think he's off the board by six, though. I think the Philadelphia Eagles won't pass on Kyle Pitts. Truly does seem like, I hate using the word, but 10 to 15 years, generational prospect might be uh, the phrase we have for him. And yeah, usage can take away even the best tight ends. Uh, infamously, TJ Hawkinson goes eighth overall, then proceeds to lose, you know, 30, 40 snaps a game to Sheriff Jesse James. So not no prospect <laughs> is a sure thing, but if we can get Kyle Pitts that usage, ideally he will be maybe the rare rookie tight end we concern ourselves with in fantasy land. Austin, last one quickly. Give me your dream first round pick for any team wide receiver running back or tight end that you think would just immediately smash oh man i've been saying this one for a while elijah moore to the green bay packers at 29 ah, if they if they let elijah moore go at 29 obviously it depends on who's available and all those things there could be other players that slip but if they let him go at 29 i'll be pissed because i just don't get it and it's at a certain point you're just feeding into the bit that you don't want to get aaron Rodgers a first round player because that is the perfect skill set to compliment Devontae Adams, a guy that could work the underneath route tree, do different things from the slot, while Devontae Adams owns people on the outside. Give me Elijah Moore, who just ran a freaking 4-3-5 today at uh, Ole Miss, I mean, uh, Elijah, uh, Ole Miss's pro day. Like, I, crazy short shuttle, crazy three-cone, insane athlete, five foot nine, 180 pounds. I think that's the perfect complimentary skill set to what Devontae Adams brings to the Green Bay Packers. Throw him into the mix. I'm a big fan of that fit. I think that's the move. I would love to see that uh, next year. People wanted Will Fuller in Green Bay. We can put Fuller anywhere and he's fine, but they have MVS. He is a maybe not the most reliable field stretcher, but he can serve that part of your offense. Let's spruce up the slot. That's why I want to Curtis Samuel, though. Give someone that prime Randall Cobb role. Yes. Elijah Moore seems like he can fit that to a T. PFS third ranked wide receiver in 2020, 91.2 receiving grade. Gotta love that. Austin, fantastic stuff. Let the people know what you got on the docket. Of course, they can hear you with Mike over at two for one drafts. Yeah, absolutely, man. Follow me on Twitter, PFF underscore Austin Gale, two for one drafts, wherever you find your podcast. And also continue listening to my guy, Ian Hart, <laughs> one of my favorite podcasts that PFF does. So I appreciate you having me on. Too kind, Austin. Looking forward to uh, getting a stake here before too long back up in Cincy. Yes. But that's good to everybody. He's Austin. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 